You're listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. I'm Harriet Hendel. I'm so eager to introduce my guest to you today from an organization which is close to my heart for several reasons. The organization is Puppies Behind Bars, based in New York City and founded in 1997. They just celebrated their 25th anniversary. Eric Barsness is with us along with Gilbert Molina. Eric is the executive vice president of the organization. Gilbert is an instructor on staff. For those of you who don't know anything about dogs in prison, you're in for a treat. Welcome, Eric and Gilbert. Thank you, Harriet. Good to have you with us. So, Eric, please tell us how being a dancer and choreographer for 15 years is connected to Puppies Behind Bars. And let's throw in GQ magazine. Mm -hmm. Well, the GQ magazine part probably had a little bit more connection in some ways to being at Puppies Behind Bars. But basically, there's no specific resume that would prepare you for working at this organization. All of us here do a lot of different things, um, whatever our job title is. It's one of those small organizations where we all have to sort of roll with the flow and get done what needs to get done. And I think ultimately where being a dancer and choreographer, choreographer prepared me for this job and any other job I've had is that I learned to literally think on my feet and I learned to uh, not be worried about changes and not be worried about improvising and to be confident about standing up and talking in front of a crowd of people because talking in front of a crowd of people is a lot easier than dancing in front of them. Mm -hmm. After all, the worst that can happen when you're talking is you have a few word burgers. You're not gonna fall down. Uh, so anyway, I was fortunate that our president, Gloria Gilbert Stoga, was willing to look at my sort of unusual resume and still let me come in for an interview. And I, I'm even more lucky that she 14 years ago offered me a job here and I'm still here. That's wonderful. All right, now we have Gilbert and he too has a unique story. You spent 19 years in various New York correctional facilities. Mm -hmm. You were paroled in 2010. Tell us more. Well, it was when I landed in Otisville uh, Correctional Facility where one day I happened to, um, you know, my, my cubicle was near the door. Um, and one day I'm drinking my coffee and I see a dog walk by just free right there. Just out of nowhere, a dog walks by my cube. And I, I was like, am I uh, hallucinating? Um, I got up, I seen civilians walking around, which happened to be Gloria and Carl at that time, and um, with, with their dogs. Um, so as soon as that happened, I, I was curious. I asked the officer what was, what was uh, taking place, and they said it was a program coming into the um, facility. So I just followed up on it and um, <clears throat> waited for an uh, opportunity to sign up, which I did. Um, Carl had uh, like a, a orientation in the auditorium. So I made sure that I was there, um, signed up and I was able to get an interview with him and got into the program. 
And I was one of the first like six guys there because, you know, when we started, it, they were just opening it up in um, uh, around 2006, early 2006. Um, and uh, so there was six guys that entered the program. So uh, and I was one of them. So I was happy. And that's where everything started. Um, I, I got out in 2010 of June. Um, and if I'm going too far, just let me know. Um, I, okay. 2000. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So then in 2010 of June, I get out, you know, and I got a lot of things going on because my mom was sick. So we're trying to figure that out. I was in a halfway house at that time too. Um, so I was looking around for employment and somehow we got a, I got a call and I was talking to Gloria. Uh, I ended up passing by the um, office and it came out to be almost like a little interview. And then she hired me, which, you know, I, I, I haven't looked back since. Um, appreciate she gave me the offer um to work and um here i am you know all right yeah. we want i want very much for people to understand um much much more about the beginnings of the organization and the ideas behind it so eric now that we know what brought you to puppies take us back to 1997 and its beginnings, whose idea was an organization like this to have dogs in prison? Well, there were a few programs uh, where dogs were trained for various things in prison, but in terms of our program, the idea was Gloria Gilbert Stogas, our founders, and it wasn't entirely her idea. She read an article in People Magazine about a veterinarian in Florida who was involved in helping to train and foster guide dogs for the blind. And he happened to drive by a correctional facility or prison of some sort on his way to his practice every day. And he'd see all these guys standing around in the yard doing nothing. And he knew how time consuming it was to train a guide dog. So he had the idea in Florida, well, what if I worked with a prison and the incarcerated people there helped me train these dogs. So he started some sort of program in Florida. Gloria read a short article about it and thought it was so brilliant that she couldn't stop thinking about it. And it also made her cry. So she kept reading this article and crying until her husband finally said, look, you either need to throw away that article or you need to do something about it. So being Gloria, she, uh, got on the phone and tried to track down people in Albany and then happened to meet the first lady of Albany, then uh, Libby Pataki, who was the wife of the governor, yeah. at a cocktail party. Hmm. So she cornered Libby Pataki and told her all about it. And Libby said, oh, well, well, I'll help you. It's a great idea. And Gloria thought, well, that's not going to happen. And a few months went by and Gloria thought, well, she's never, I'll, I'll never hear from her. Maybe I'll give her a call until actually the phone rang and it was Libby Pataki saying, Gloria, I set up meetings for you in Albany with the commissioner of corrections. So Gloria went into the office of the commissioner of corrections in Albany. She walked into his office and saw a bunch of photographs of Labrador retrievers on his desk and thought, well, that's a good sign. <laughs> so she pitched the idea to him and he, he thought, well, you know, we could give it a try. So in 1997, Gloria then went to Guiding Eyes for the Blind, a pretty big, well-established 
guide dog organization. And they gave her five puppies that they didn't think have, had much chance at all of working out. And Gloria brought those dogs into Bedford Hills where she started teaching classes. And lo and behold, three of those five dogs made it and became guide dogs for the blind. So guide dog, guide dog foundation thought, well, well, we'll try them out more. The, the facility was very happy with the way it worked. It clearly was good for the women in, in the program and, and I guess good for the facility overall, for the staff, et cetera, to see dogs around. So it grew from there slowly but surely. The program, more, more of the incarcerated women at Bedford Hills got involved. It gradually expanded to a few more prisons in New York and in New Jersey. In 2001, with the events of 9-11, um, Gloria and the rest of the folks at the organization wondered how they could help at, in that circumstance. And there was a tremendous need after that attack for explosive detection canines. So uh, Gloria realized we could expand the training to a to train EDCs as they're called. So that was added to the, the program. And now we were training both guide dogs for the blind and EDCs to work with law enforcement. Then in uh, the following years, of course, the US got involved in uh, invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan and sending tens of thousands of troops overseas. And many of them were coming home wounded and many of them coming home with severe post-traumatic stress disorder. So Gloria realized, oh, I guess we could train our dogs to help those guys and women. And that took a long time to sort of tweak the training, uh, but that became the real focus of the organization, training service dogs, psychological service dogs to work with wounded veterans. And uh, back then there were very few programs training do dogs for that need. So that grew and it, it eventually replaced the guide dog training. So all our service dogs were trained for disabled veterans. Uh, in the last few years, that's expanded to accepting applications and encouraging uh, disabled first responders to apply for our dogs. And that was a direct response to the shootings at Sandy Hook. The, the, elementary school in Connecticut. And Gloria was thinking about the effect that had on the police officers and EMT workers and ambulance workers who went to that school and witnessed the immediate after effects of that incident and how traumatized they must have been. So uh, it was a pretty logical extension from accepting, grad, uh, accepting applicants who were veterans with PTSD to uh, veterans of police and fire department work, et cetera, first responders with PTSD. And our most recent uh, expansion, if you will, and our, our newest chapter grew sort of logically out of that when we were approached by a woman who works as the community outreach officer of a police department in Connecticut. And she came to us and said, you know, do you think you could train one of your dogs to work with me? I'm not disabled, but I go out into the community all the time. I, I work with, I go to the, to the library for children's reading hour. I, I try to bridge the gap between the police department and members of the community. And I think a dog would really help me with that. 
I also think a dog could help me with other officers in the department when they're traumatized, when they've been in terribly stressful situations. The dog could work as a therapy dog. So we now have, oh, by the end of the of the year, we'll have 20 dogs working with police departments, not as not working with disabled individuals, but working as department dogs who help with community outreach and who help officer wellness overall. Um, and right now, especially uh, in, in our current situation where there's a, a lot of distrust often of police departments, a, a lot of lack of communication between, between police forces and community members, the dogs help facilitate those conversations. And we'll hear that uh, someone will talk to an officer if that officer has a dog uh, who might not ever speak to an officer in another circumstance. We were very uh, honored when some police officers were killed in New York early this year that uh, our dogs who work with NYPD were comforting the widow and family members of one of the murdered officers, and that our dogs were at the funerals at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Wow, so the dogs help a lot of different kinds of people in a lot of ways. Oh, and here's a very important offshoot of that program as well. The office, police officers who are trained with our dogs go into prison to be trained by the inmates to work with the dogs. So oh. they come away from this experience, as do the inmates, the police officers see the inmates then as capable, responsible, caring, giving human beings who've really accomplished something and who have a tremendous skill. And likewise, the incarcerated individuals train the officers and think, oh, this guy in uniform maybe isn't so bad. He loves this dog. He sees the yeah. benefit this dog can do. Um, it humanizes these very divergent populations, if you will. That's true. There was one thing I read in your beautiful, beautiful booklet. What would you call that 25th anniversary? Uh, we don't know what's called. We call it our special edition or whatever. It's a, our 25th anniversary special. That's what we call special. it. Special. All right. Um, the dogs had, there was some connection between the dogs and COVID. Am I wrong? Oh, no, you're right. Um, and this was a special request. You know, New York City was really the epicenter of COVID in the United States when the virus first hit here. And it was spreading before anyone knew it was here. So before people started getting sick, it was very widespread in New York City. So all of a sudden, there were a whole lot of people being hospitalized with very serious illnesses and a whole lot of people dying. So they were bringing in nurses from around the country and they brought in uh, National Guard troops from around New York State to help. Uh, they set up basically an emergency hospital at the Javits Center. So these young National Guardsmen and nurses from all over the country were working in very diff difficult circumstances where they were experiencing a lot of death um, very early on when nobody knew how to treat the disease and there were no vaccinations or anything. So we got a call uh, asking if we could bring some of our dogs to the hotels where these guardsmen and nurses were being housed. And um, 
dogs wound up just being tremendously comforting to uh, these caregivers and National Guard officers who were being traumatized and they'd get back to their hotel exhausted. They'd seen all these, you know, they'd spent their day putting people in body bags and these dogs would romp up and down the hall. Gilbert was one of the people who brought dogs there. So Gilbert, you should chime in about what that experience was like. Yeah, please. So yeah, we would, um, I would drive up actually to Bethlehem, get a dog, come down, um, and we would have certain days and times that were designated for us to go there. So I would make it there, um, meet the contact sergeant from the National Guard, um, and I kind of meet up with him. And then from there, we would he would take us to spots in the hospital because they worked in shifts. So what happened is as, you know, there'd be, let's say, a three o'clock shift, just say, I don't know if that's the actual time, but, you know, you have nurses returning from the hospital and nurses moving on. So we tried to be there around that time to catch the nurses, mainly that were coming back, going through all the experience of, you know, dealing with families, dealing with individuals that were very sick, even passing away. <clears throat> so they would get really down. During that time, it seemed like since nobody really knew <clears throat> how this virus was going to really affect people, other than they just knew that people were dying, it was kind of like a sad time because they would go there and try to help as much as they can and sometimes couldn't save that person. And they come back kind of like sad. Um, you know, kind of discouraged. That's a lot of them look kind of down, a lot of hours working. So coming back, we would be in the area where they had to pass by and and and, and some some nurses are just dog, you know, animal lovers and they want to pet the dog and they start petting the dog and they feel a lot more relieved. I mean it was just a magic the dogs do. Um so you would have nurses that would sit down on the floor with the dog and cry and pet the dog and said that, and, and, and kind of keep repeating that I really needed this. I really needed this. I miss my dog that I left back in you know, the state they came from. So, you know, um, they kind of got relief or they did get relief from pet petting the dog. So every, on certain days and times we would be there and the nurses would kind of like, would come down from their rooms or when they're returning, stop and pet the dogs. They would play with the dogs, throw the ball. We had because the hotel was pretty big, but they would throw the the ball and have the dogs um, fetch. So you know they kind of got a, like a, what I call a light and lively after a hard day of work. Um, a little, a little dog therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know everybody kind of you know even the ones uh, persons that are not let's say dog lovers still kind of came by, said hello, pet the dog, and, and kept walking. And then you have those that are just crazy for dogs. They just get on the floor and they cry or they just laugh, depending on what they felt at the moment, you know? So so that was, that was a very good time. I felt definitely that we were helping uh, in some capacity, you know, to relieve the stress. Indeed you were. Um, I did some research um, on dog training programs that uh, take place inside correctional facilities. And what I wonder is, are you the only organization in the country like this? There are, at this point, 
many uh, prison dog programs of all different kinds. And they range from programs where dogs from shelters are brought in to be socialized and taught basic obedience so that the dogs have a better chance of being adopted um, to programs like ours where the dogs are trained for very specific skills. There are prison programs where dogs are trained for medical detection. You know, dogs can, um, they can tell when uh, a person is going to have a seizure based on odors of chemical changes going on. There are dogs that are now being trained to help diagnose cancer and COVID. And some of those training programs are in prison. So we, we certainly at this point aren't unique in prison training of dogs. We do think we're unique in some ways. Uh, our training is extremely thorough. Our dogs are trained, our service dogs are trained for two years. We also maintain ownership of our dogs. And we do that because we feel we owe it to the dog to look after their health and well-being, not just while they're with us being trained, but through their working life. And um, we, as much as we want to help our clients, be they disabled veterans or an active uh, EMT worker, if 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 the dog we send home with them is not being exercised, is becoming obese, is not getting proper we do care, we do follow-ups, and we'll take the dog back if need be, hmm. because we think it's essential that our dogs have healthy lives. We think we owe it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're I, again, I can't say we're the only one that does that, but, but we push that care for the dog pretty far. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. Well, um, I just wanted to mention that I learned that there are 290, I don't even know how current that figure is, programs across the nation. State, I, I had no idea, yeah. no idea. So, but I wonder, yeah, sorry, Go ahead. I, I wonder how many correctional facilities there are across the nation, probably tens of thousands. So, I think it's wonderful there are two, 290 canine programs, mm-hmm. but it'd be better if there were 2,900 canine programs. You know, that the, the programs clearly benefit uh, a lot of people and. The dogs in a properly managed program are, are happy, healthy dogs, too. So uh, I think it's great if that number keeps growing. Yes. Well, we are just about out of time for this uh, interview, but you both have said you'd come back next time so we can talk more. There's so many things I still want to ask you, mostly about the training of the dogs and you know what happens to them after they leave and, and things like that. So um, uh, we'll we'll talk much, much more uh, when you return to uh, with us again. So thank you very much. We've been talking to Eric Barsness and Alina from Puppies Behind Bars, and we look forward to having you back next time on Justice. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to 
Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Harriet.